uh, sort of find my spot and not make too big of a mess and not trip over anything and not uh, get hurt or hurt anyone else. Um, and then we will pray in preparation for the message. Heavenly Father, uh, pray that you be with with us this morning as we uh, dig into your word, as we explore uh, what your scriptures have for us, what what your word has to say about um, about prayer, about about a desire to know you and to be close to you. Um, I pray that Lord, you would uh, pray that you would just just pierce our hearts, uh, create in us uh, a hunger, uh, a desire. To, to speak to you, to draw close to you, to be in your presence, to, to know you um, more and more through, through our time of prayer, through our time of, of uh, just coming to you. Help us to, to, learn, um, to learn how to do this properly, how to do it in a way that, that glorifies you and, and um, helps us to know you more intimately. I pray for this, uh, for everybody who's here, for for uh, everybody who's here to just walk away with this with, with something new and a, and a hunger to talk to you and to know you. I pray that you be with me. Help me to not get in the way. Um, Lord God, I pray that you would help me to uh, be faithful and, and submit to you in that. Um, in, in the words I speak, in the, the, um, just every aspect of the, of the prayer uh, component of the message this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I forgot my glasses. Grab them, or it's going to be a really, really fuzzy sermon. Um, when I was a kid, uh, and I first started attending churches, like a you know thirty some odd years ago, uh, it was right after the first Gulf War, or right before the first Gulf War started. So I don't know, that's like thirty years, right? Uh, I was uh, I don't know thirteen, twelve. And I, uh, it was a Lutheran church, a Missouri Synod Lutheran church, like a really, um, by golly, they, they did the, the rituals, like the prayers and the, the candles. They had people who would carry the candles up. I never got to do that, which always frustrated me. Uh, I, I think my brother did too, which is weird, but I, I don't know why they didn't trust me with fire. Um, I, and one of the things that, that I, and actually I liked it. I liked this about attending a Lutheran church. I liked the responsive readings, and I liked saying the creed every week. And I now, Church of God, we we are a no creed but Christ, and that doesn't mean that we don't agree with the creeds or whatever. It means that, like during the Second Great Awakening, when they all these different church groups were out there, um, Mr. Warner, who started our, our organization, our movement, he said, "Well." These, these creeds, because every group had their own creed, the Methodists and the Lutherans, everybody had their own thing, and it was just a source of division. And he said, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're not going to divide. And I'm all about that. But the creeds are like, like the Apostles' Creed or what have you. These are true things. And I think there's value in saying it. But what drove me nuts, so I'm a young kid, and everything about this like service is brand new to me. Right. And so like we would say the words and it's like the first time I've said them or maybe the the 50th time I've said them. But I'm still excited about it because that was that time where I decided I'm going to live my whole life following Jesus. 
And so saying them, like, I was excited, I was passionate, I would like, and it frustrated me to no end that people who had been doing it for longer than I had, had hit this point where they, they didn't feel it anymore. You know what I mean? Um, they just kind of, they had said it so many times that they didn't have to look. They didn't have to put the little bookmark in. And we had a sign with all the little things that we were going to say, the responsive readings. And you have, would find it in the book and put the bookmark in and everything else. And I love doing that. But they wouldn't, like, they just kind of drone through it. You know what I mean? Like, um, they would, they would re- repeat the words, but it was just repeating the words. And it drove me nuts. Um, and, and as I got older, though, uh, and actually even then, I remember Pastor Mike, Mike McFarlane, he was a, uh, our pastor there, and he was a young guy. He was just out of seminary. It was his first church. And I remember one time he did uh, all of the, the leading because uh, they would sing everything for a little while, and then Mike stopped. You know why? No, because he sang about it at the level I did. I do. Okay, like Mike, Pastor Mike couldn't sing. He was, but he would get real into it, and we always kind of made fun of him. And I didn't realize until recently that that was really hypocritical of me. He got into it because he loved singing about Jesus. He loved reciting the creeds. He loved doing these things. And he was doing it different because he was passionate about it. Um, this week we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, prayer. And we're actually working our way through this little bit of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and we're going to talk about it from the angle of pray like you mean it. Okay? Because it is really easy to recite things. It is really easy to fall into a pattern and to do the same thing over and over again. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Ann and Larry had their, I don't know, like 80th anniversary? Something like that? 40th. 40th? 40th anniversary. And like Jess and I went and we learned to dance. Sort of. Uh, and Jess made fun of me because she sort of knows how. And I'm doing it like mechanically. Which foot? Which foot? What do I do? And like, so I'm so focused on the steps that I'm not focused on dancing and I'm really not focused on her. And like, like it was awkward and it wasn't very pleasant. But then I bet if I did it long enough, eventually I would not even think about doing it. I would just do it. And like, then I would be dancing with my wife and I wouldn't think about the fact that I was even dancing with my wife. I would just do it because I've been married forever and, you know, whatever. Um, there's a danger when it comes to following Christ, when it comes to prayer, that we can hit one extreme or the other, where we don't want to be passionate or we don't feel it or where we go the other way. Um, the series so far, we've just been working through prayer. We've talked about Jesus in the desert. We've talked about, um, you know, some other Pauline texts. Last week, we talked about um, how uh, praying in public versus praying in private and how, like, Prayer is a thing you do between you and God. It is about you and God and your relationship with God. There's a larger context that this takes place in. Uh, real quick, the primary readership of this book and the audience that Jesus is speaking to are the same, which is kind of cool. Um, Matthew's writing to uh, like Jews in the promised land, right? Not Jews all over the world, not Gentiles, nobody else. Like His primary target is these guys. And these guys said prayers at different times a day. And they had wrote prayers that they would say over and over again because that's kind of how it happened. You could pray anything, but you definitely had prayers you said every day. Like, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall have no other gods, which is the Shema. And you would say it several times a day. And I bet that it got real easy to say, 
Uh, it's three o'clock. I really have stuff to do. I want to get work done before the sun goes down. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall have no other gods before him. All right, back to work. You know, like, it's easy to do, right? Um, it is easy to do. Uh, to fall into that pattern and to not feel it. And so I think the audience that he's speaking to, like, like he's telling them, guys, hear what you're saying. It's between you and God, and it's between you and God, so you need to mean it. Um, all of the surrounding material fits. I'm not going to get into it today because it doesn't play in as much, um, but I'll note it where, we, where, we, uh, where it really fits. Last week's sermon, we beat that to death. So you can check that stuff if you're really interested and excited. I'm going to give you the main idea here, okay? So if you're going to fall asleep, right? Six minutes in, if you're ready to fall asleep, Mr. Durga isn't here, but John is, so. Uh, Jesus is instructing his followers to approach prayer as like this relational act, right? Um, rather than as a magical means to an earthly end, or rather as a ritual that they had to do, or anything else. Jesus is saying, this is your relationship with God. I think Dallas Willard put it sort of most interesting when he says that prayer is an act of theological research. It is exploring God face to face. Hebrews says that we literally, as, as adopted sons of God, we enter into the Holy of Holies and stand before the throne room of God, before the throne of God, and speak to Him saying, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, here's what's going on. Um, that's what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about talking to God like we mean it. Talking to God like we are excited about it. Talking to God like, like we love Him. Like we want to know Him. Like we want to hang out with him. Like we want to spend time with him. Like we actually depend on him for everything. Because we do. So we're going to do our text. There's two verses. Um, and so we will. Uh, we're going to do our two verses and we will. I'm just going to pick out a little bits and pieces. And then we're going to do some do's and don'ts. Right? Um, I thought about doing as my illustration. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, Matthew 6, 7 to 8. So you find it in your Bible. It's not going to be on the screen. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles. I want you to look at them. So find Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. When you pray, do not babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Okay, so sometimes this is translated. I like babble, right? but I included the more common rendering. Babel is actually a pretty clean wording. Like, it's very close to what Jesus said. Uh, and it's a little more colloquial, or a little more comfortable, a little more accurate. But heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, meaning that they would just pile it on more and more and more. I, uh, a few years ago, as a gift for my wife, I wrote her, like for Christmas, I think it was Christmas, I wrote her 52 love letters. And I put them in a box so that she could have a different love letter every week of the year. And like, I'm going to tell you, sitting down and doing that in like three or four days, they're not that like creative after a certain point. Like they ain't Shakespeare, right? They would be if I had taken my time. But, <laughs> but after a certain point, like, you know, you're like, all right, well, I got 30 more to do now. Uh, 
And so, like, after a little while, they might have gotten a little repetitive and a little rote because I'm saying I love you over and over again 52 times in different ways. And eventually, like, I'm just piling it on, right? Um, this is part of how Gentiles, not exactly how, but this is part of how um, the Gentile world at the time would approach praying to God. They would pile it on. The more you do, the better. The more repetition, the more stuff, the more you throw on it, um, the better. Why? Because the Gentiles did not believe that God really cared at all about them. The gods, right, because they're all polytheists, they didn't care. And you had to kind of get their attention to ask for stuff. Now, which, like, is the ideal way to get the gods' attention. You would do a sacrifice, and you would repeat yourself an awful lot, and eventually they might catch attention. Or... You might forget to do your sacrifice and not pray enough, and then they would get your atten- you would get their attention and they would throw a lightning bolt at you or something. But like, like it was never about being friends with God. It was always about like, all right, he's over there. I need to deal with him. I'm going to deal with him just the right amount. So I got to get his attention in the most positive way and like get what I'm after without ticking him off. Um, every mom in the room, the, your kids sing you a song on a regular basis. It is mom, 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 mama, mom, mommy, mom, mom, mom. And like, I'm on the phone. Mom, 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 please stop. Mom, mom. And they know if they say it enough, what's going to happen? You're either going to kill them or you're going to give them what they want so that they'll go away. Right? Like, and to some degree, that's what the Gentiles are doing. They believe if they say it over and over and over and over and over again, the gods who don't really care about them will reward them. There's another potential way this goes. It could also be a reference to magic. Right? Because oftentimes, we would see where, um, like Gentiles, they would recite like, like gibberish. Literally gibberish. Like that was magic spells. And they would say these things hoping if they said them enough and loud enough and in the right way, they would get what they wanted because they were performing a magic spell. And actually, there are Christians who do this, right? Like, I worked with a guy for a while. He would say, in Jesus' name, three times in every sentence while praying. And it was very frustrating. It's like, oh, Lord, I come to you in Jesus' name and ask in Jesus' name that you would bless us in Jesus' name He's like, all right, guy, it's not a magic phrase. Right? Like, you don't really have conversations like that. I don't, right? I wouldn't talk to my wife that way. I wouldn't talk to the kids that way. I wouldn't do that. Like, it is easy to fall into this. Like, you've got to say it just right and use the right intonation and the right words. You've got to pray long enough. You've got to feel it just the right way um, or not. And do it exactly perfect so that God will, like, you know, oh, yeah. I'm not going to use that as an illustration. Sorry. Um, but the Gentiles would often view the gods in very unusual ways. And there's possibly a few different ways this is being presented or it can be read. But the general idea is the Gentiles do not have a relationship with their gods. And so they're praying in weird, nonsense ways because the gods don't care. You're just trying to get them to work. You're kicking the vending machine the right number of times and trying to do the Fonzie thing so you get the right soda or so the jukebox plays the right song without costing you a quarter. Um, that's it. Um, but when Jesus talks about prayer for believers, he says, your father knows, right? So the significance of this is huge because 
He's talking about God as their father. He's not saying Yahweh, I can pronounce it in Hebrew, which you wouldn't say because the Jews were afraid to even say the name of God, right? Yahweh. They would never say it because they were afraid of God. And he's saying, listen, God is your father. Don't be afraid of him. Don't distance yourself. Don't treat him this way. Talk to him. Go to your father. I love, I love talking to my dad. Love talking to my dad. I don't do it nearly enough. I love getting on the phone with him. My kids are like, we can attest to this. We'll be driving to, to Great Falls. And I'll be like, hey, I'm going to call dad real quick. I'm just going to talk to him a few minutes and then we'll put some music on. And then we're pulling into Great Falls. And like we got disconnected twice and I called back because I want to talk to my dad, right? My dad gives good advice. My dad has wisdom. My dad loves me. My dad's concerned about me. I'm concerned about him because I love him. And so we talk. That is the way Jesus is depicting prayer. It is not a, all right, God, come on, mom, 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 mom. It's not that. He knows what you need before you ask him. Okay. My wife is amazing. And it is Pastor Spouse Appreciation Day, so I'm saying this with all sincerity and in honoring of the holiday. My wife generally knows what I'm thinking or what I'm looking for or where I left things or what I need at any given moment. She reads my mind in the weirdest ways. Do you get that? Anybody else have that? Like, we've been together for so long. She knows what I'm thinking. And so I might, I, one of my favorite things to do in life is to drink my first cup of coffee in bed, having not gotten up yet. My wife knows that at some point in time, because she'll get up before me and I'll either text her or try and catch her on her way past the room and I'll be like, honey, can you give me a cup of coffee? She knows I'm going to ask. Why even bother to ask? Right? Well, that's a nonsense thing. You ask because I'm married to her. I ask because I'm married to her. I ask because it's polite. I ask because we have a relationship, not because she, like, she's not my butler. She's not. She's not my maid. She's not any of those things. She is my spouse, and I love her, and we have conversations. Actually, it's even better when she sits with me while I drink my coffee and we talk, but that doesn't always happen. Um, God knows everything, but the point of prayer is dependence on him. It's relationship with him. It is coming to him and saying, this is what I need. Um, there are times my children need things, and they don't ask, and I just sort of let them go until they're ready to ask, Right? Anybody else do that? It's just me. I'm a terrible dad. Um, all right. This is my rough teardown of the text. There's other, like, intricacies to it. I'm not getting into all of it. Um, the big idea here is prayer is about relationship. It's not about anything else. That's it. Um, so we're going to do some do's and don'ts according to this, okay? Um, I really wanted to do, like, goofus and gallant. You know what I'm talking about? Only like a Christian version, we could have done Saul and Paul or Judas and Jesus. or um, But I, I didn't because I'm not that clever and I thought it might be a little sacrilegious. So <laughs> um, do not pray in rote, repetitious, repetitious or meaningless manner. Like so if you're going to pray, don't do it in a way that is pointless, in a way that is just saying the words. Right. And it's easy to do. Um, every, every day when we ate a family meal together growing up, we said the Lord's Prayer, right? Every meal. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, actually, growing up, there are a lot of those repeated prayers, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord the soul to keep. Should I die before I wake? Etc., etc. We don't recite the words to get what we want. We don't pray checking a box. Oh, I didn't recite the prayer. I remember once my dad prayed the Lord's Prayer where he would lead us in prayer. And he prayed it in a very, like, feeling way. And I made fun of him. Because he did it right instead of the way that we were doing it. Prayer is not supposed to be that. It is not supposed to be, uh, all right, God... Uh, God bless mom, God bless dad, God bless, I remember saying that as a kid. We had a whole list of them and you knew them by heart and you would say it every time and all that. Um, ritual without meaning is pointless. God does not desire that. Uh, Matthew chapter 15 verse 8. Uh, you don't need, necessarily need to hunt these down. I'm not going to dig into them real deep. This is um, Jesus talking about uh, the Pharisees and how the Pharisees had these traditions and they would follow the traditions but they didn't care about anything else. They didn't care about God. They didn't care about anything else. And actually, he said, um, we're going to go a little earlier than I intended. He answered them, why do you break God's command? Because of your tradition. For God said, honor your mother and who, or your father and mother and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, whoever tells his father or mother Whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple. And so what these guys would do is they'd be like, all right, well, I'm supposed to give money to my parents, but I'm going to dedicate it to the temple, and that'll be my offering. And that was their way out of taking care of their parents because they're like, oh, yeah, I was going to give you this money, but I'm giving it to the temple, so sorry. They cheated, right? They pretended they loved God, but they loved God to their advantage. They didn't care. Um but you, you say, uh, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever, I'm sorry, I just did that. Uh, whatever benefit you might have received from me is committed to the temple. He does not have to honor his father. In this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesies correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Um, teaching and doctrines, teaching is doctrines, human commands. What's going on there? He's saying, listen, you guys follow these rules, but you don't care about what God desires. You follow these traditions, but you don't care about what God wants from you. You, and in this instance, I'm applying it to prayer, and I'm telling you, I may repeat a prayer every day. I may do it religiously. I may do it. I may show up to church and sing the songs because I know them all backward and forward. And I can do it with my eyes closed and half asleep, right? If I'm not singing in a way that I mean it, if I'm not praying in a way that I mean it, if I'm not approaching God in a way that I mean it, if I'm just repeating the words, saying what I'm supposed to say, but it's no reflection of what's in me, I'm honoring God with my lips, but my heart is far from him. Uh, Psalm 51, 16 and 17. I'm going to summarize some of these here so we're not uh, getting too uh, dug in on it. Um, the psalm actually says um, that God does not 
like he doesn't find joy. He doesn't find um, satisfaction. He does not desire sacrifices. He does not desire that we say the right thing or do the right thing or follow the ritual. He desires that our hearts belong to him, that we have a contrite spirit, that we be humble before him, meaning that we know who he is, that he is our God. We love him and we come to him as an act of love. doesn't care if we do all the stuff in the world. He cares what's in us. Uh, the Chronicles text is actually one I used last week. I'm going to use it again because I like it. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are completely his, um, basically that he might support them completely. Why? Because God desires our hearts to be his. He doesn't desire that we pray enough. He doesn't desire that we say the right words. He doesn't desire any of that. He desires that we desire him. Um, you could actually, men test this out because um, it's a principle that shows up in our marriage, right? You can ask your wife, honey, if I brought home a lot of money, if I gave you lots of flowers and gifts, if I always gave you jewelry and said romantic things and did all the perfect stuff but actually didn't love you, would that be enough? Wives, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Why? Because you can do all the right things. If you don't really love your wife, it doesn't matter. Your wife wants you to love her. God desires that we love him, not that we say enough words, not that we pray enough, not that we do those things. Is there value in repetition? 100% yes, but more so for children. Isn't that crazy? Children learn things by repeating them. Children learn things by saying them out loud over and over again and repeating them. There is value in repetition, but repetition, when we detach ourselves from it, stops being meaningful, stops being useful. Sometimes you do have to fake it till you make it. I'm going to offer that as, as like a thing, but it's not fake it because you don't care. It's not fake it because you ain't trying to make it. It is, I desire to talk to God right, but I haven't got it in me. I'm going to say these words until I'm there. I'm going to talk to him until I'm there. I've, I've had days like that where everything is awful and you pray and you don't mean it. And it's really hard and like you break down in the middle of it. And you come back to, Lord, I just don't know what to do here. You know, and you continue to say your prayers because you got to. Because talking to God is breathing. Um, my next do and do not. So the first one is do not pray in a repetition manner. Love God and talk to him. My second is do not use prayer like a magic incantation. But we do Pray without ceasing. Um, if you jump to, we're not going to do it right now. First Kings 18 is this like most awesome showdown in the Bible. It's like the, the shootout at the OK Corral of the Old Testament when like, um, we have, uh, uh, the prophets of Baal meet Elijah and they stand across from each other on Mount, Cal- Mount Caramel. <laughs> Um, they stand there and like they're supposed to get fire from their gods. And the important bit here is if you read what the prophets of Baal did, they circled their fire, they cut themselves, and they repeated their prayers over and over again for like 12 hours. And they just said it over and over again. You know why? Because like they didn't actually believe Baal cared. You got Baal's attention and he did stuff. Um, that's it. That's it. Um, because they didn't actually think the gods loved them. The gods answered their prayers because they did it right and they did it enough and they did it loud enough to get the gods' attention. Whereas Elijah kneels down 
and you know, I mean, you read the prayer yourself later. But he basically says, "All right, God, do your stuff." He does. The difference being, we're not like the Gentiles. We're not like the prophets of Baal. We don't repeat ourselves ad nauseum as loud as we can as a magic formula, because there is no magic. There's no magic. There is none. We don't treat God in that way. Actually, this is part of the idea behind the command to not take the name of the Lord in vain. It is not the only idea. Don't hear me saying it's the only idea, but it is part of it. Because in the ancient world, like ancients believed that if you knew the name of a deity, you could control him. And if you knew his name, you could use that name to make him do what you want. And so part of it is God saying like, hey guys, you know my name. Don't, don't do stupid stuff trying to pretend that you can command me by knowing my name. By saying my name, I'm not going to jump because you say my name. I'm not going to obey you because you know my name. Don't use my name in vain because people would do that. They would use the name of God as a magic thing and it doesn't work because I can't say my wife's name over and over again to get her to do what I want, right? Mom, 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 mom. That's not relational. Might be a magic formula, but mainly it's I annoyed you until you gave up, right? We don't do magic with God. But, now here's where it gets tricky. So, the repetition and the saying it and all this, like praying without ceasing, means going to God and talking to Him and being in His presence and engaging with Him in all situations. Taking Him with you everywhere you go. So you, you go and you like face an adversary in life. I know we all have arch enemies. I, you can pretend you don't, but most of us do. Like you encounter that guy and like, Lord, help me to be like you. Lord, help me to love this guy. You drive your combine. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for five minutes of not breaking down or two consecutive days if you're John. <laughs> Nothing. We talk to God because God is, God is, He loves us. He desires to talk to us. When Paul commands us to pray without ceasing, he's not talking about do the magic formula. He's not talking about say enough stuff so you're holy enough to go to heaven. It's talk to God because He loves you. Talk to God because He desires to be near you. I love my little boy who will, at any opportunity, regardless of what's going on, attempt to have conversation with me. Dad, Dad, this movie's pretty exciting, isn't it? Yes. Dad, I was thinking about making a Lego figure like the guy on the screen. All right, son. Watching the movie. But he desires to talk to me, right? And God is a better father than I am because God will always stop everything and listen. God will always look and say, I already know what you're going to say, but I want to hear you say it because I love you. That's it. Isn't that amazing? Um, In Luke, we have two separate uh, instances where repetitive prayer is built in. And actually, like the first one, 11, is right after Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. And like he says... You know, and, and like, so it's in theory really close to this teaching because the Lord's Prayer is what's next. Um, and he says, listen, if you were to go to bed at night and your family was all sleeping and your neighbor comes over and pounds on your door and says, hey, I need bread. I don't have any bread and I have guests who've been traveling in the desert. Wake up and help me. Now, this seems really impolite. At the time, you could starve to death in the desert. And so, like, if somebody showed up at your house, you fed them, period. That's it. 
could be a stranger, could be an enemy. You fed them. It was hospitality. It's actually insulting to not feed someone. Uh, I have funny stories about that. Ask me later. Um, and so then the guy's like, hey, I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. Go away. Again, there's another parent moment there. The kids start knocking on their door. Dad, I'm asleep. It's two in the morning. Go away. But dad, no, get your own glass of water. Go to the bathroom on your own. I'm not doing it. My kids are older than that. Um, but if you knock long enough, eventually the guy's going to answer. Right? And the point of that is God is better than your neighbor. If you ask enough, if you talk to him enough, if you go to him desperately as your God, as your father, and ask, he's going to take care of you. That's it. That's who God is. That is his character. That is his personality. The other one is the widow, uh, where the widow goes to the judge over and over again and says, hey, give me justice, give me justice. And the judge is like, hey, I'm judge is very corrupt, and he knows he's corrupt. And he's like, nope, not doing anything for you. You're poor. I don't want anything. And she keeps asking, and finally he's like, oh, my gosh, I'll just give you what you want so you go away. And the point is, God is better than a corrupt judge. God will distribute justice. God will hear our prayers better than the world. But we accept these things as true. If I pester you enough, you'll do it. My kids know if I ask enough times, Dad will let me do what I want. The persistent model of prayer is something that is presented to us because God desires that we go to Him with our needs. Not that we would ask enough time so we can check the box. It's like, oh, you asked the 35th time, now you get what you want. It's not that. It is depend on God. So keep going back and asking. Keep asking, keep asking, because God will take care of you. Persistence is about relationship. It is about connection, and it is about dependence. It is really hard to be dependent on anything, right? John Wayne never needed anyone. The, the pale writer was always alone. Why? They're independent. They can do what they want. They don't need anyone. We need God. That's it. We need our Father. Last thing, am I do and do not? So we got don't do repetition. Don't treat it like a magic incantation. And then finally, um, there's a line in there where it says, God already knows what you want, what you need. Sometimes we skip prayer because we're like, God already knows. I've done it, actually, when I was younger and dumber, which is really something, actually. <laughs> when I was younger and dumber, I was like, oh, well, God already knows. In reality, we go to God with our needs because, because we love him. Because it is his character to meet our needs. Like the two previous stories, they are important because we rely on God and we're supposed to go to him and we're supposed to know his character and chase after him and pursue him to meet our needs because that's who God is. If we abandon those things, we abandon who God is. We go to him because we are in relationship with him, because we desire to know him, because talking to him shapes us. It is weird. My wife and I have been married forever, and neither of us is the same person. Not because we got older, but because we've spent enough time, like, pushing each other that we have become different. That is ideally how marriage is. You grow together. You evolve together. You become a hybrid, better. When I approach God, I change. I grow. Um, I know 
like like being in his presence makes me better. It makes me not alone. It gives me identity. It shapes me, everything. Um, in Luke 11, actually, after the bit about the neighbor and pounding on the door, he says, listen, what father amongst you, if your child asked you for a, a loaf of bread, would give him a scorpion? Well, none of us, right? I don't give my kid a scorpion. I mean, unless I was one of those really cool dads and had a terrarium and a bunch of other stuff. But like, I'm not going to just like, oh, well, here's some bread. Ha, it's a snake. No. Why? Because fathers know what their kids need and they give them good gifts because they love their kids, right? We are to approach God as a God who knows what we need and takes care of us. It drives me nuts a little bit that my kids always ask for stuff um, but don't want to talk to me. Here you get that, you walk in the door, hey, how was your day? Can I watch TV? Can I play Xbox? Hey, I found this thing on Amazon. Can I buy it? <laughs> Why, well, I'm doing well. Thank you, son. Why do you ask? You know, Relationship is what God desires. The same way as fathers desire to know their children, to love their children, to walk with them, to spend life with them. Um, ultimately, dependence is the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer, and it's my last do, do not, right? Don't skip it thinking God already knows. We go to God over and over again. We talk to him about people we love, about things that we care about, things we are wrestling with, and we ask him, even though he knows, because we're dependent on him, because he cares for us, because he wants to hear it. Um, we'll talk about that a little more on a future week. Um, we're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to do the Lord's Supper. We are going to um, do the ordinances, and I'm going to call some guys forward. I hope I get some. And my wife is going to play some music on uh, the stereo. Can you play uh, first uh, Creed from uh, Liturgy, uh, Legacy, and Ragamuffin Band? Thank you. Um, and we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would give us your grace, that you would stand in our presence as we take the Lord's Supper. And Lord, I pray that this is not a thing that we do as a ritual. It is not a thing that we do because it's the first Sunday of the month and because this is what, like, the thing that we're supposed to do this week or whatever, Lord. Let us do this remembering that Christ died for us, that he poured his blood out to save me and to save all of us, that he, when I was wicked, he died for me. Help us to be in your presence. Bring our hearts and our minds to a place where we are remembering this. And my challenge, amen, and my challenge for you this morning, as you that you would remember, first off, that when Christ was with his disciples at the Last Supper, he broke his bread and he gave it to him. He said, take this and eat it. This is my body broken for you. And it's easy to forget. This is the thing we do. And Erica already went long and everything else. I want to get to the mint because the good table will be gone or whatever. None of that. This is the body of Christ broken for you. It's not a ritual. It's not a habit. It is the God who loves you more than anything sending his only begotten son to be tortured and punished on your behalf for your sins. And so as you take the bread, remember, Christ died for you. Christ poured himself out for you.